you have your Bible, I'm going to open up with me this morning to Luke chapter 15. Um, I'm going to read what, what may be a familiar story. Uh, it may not be a familiar story. Maybe you know the first time you're hearing it, and that's okay too. It's a good story. Um, we'll read it, and then uh, we're going to talk about it today. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because He has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, if you've heard this parable before or heard this story before, um, you'll know it as the what? The parable of the prodigal son. Right. And um, what's interesting is that over, um, over generations and generations that, that Christians have come to know really probably um, with little comparison as to the popularity at least, this, this story no, titled The Prodigal Son. Like, it, it is like ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere, right? And, and it's, it's an easy, that was an easy question, right? What is the name of this story and what is the name of this parable? What is probably more interesting than the universal understanding that this story is called the prodigal son is that that's not how Jesus tells the story at all. Um, in fact, uh, it, Jesus doesn't make the son, either of the sons, the center or the main character of the story. The story isn't really about the son at all. If you read the first line of the story that Jesus tells, he's very clear about who the story is about. Jesus continued, verse 11, there was a man. And this man had two sons. This story, uh, this story has not the son not the prodigal son, not the lost son, not the son that runs away, and not the son that stays as the main character, but this story has the father as the main character. There was a man who had two sons. Jesus tells us right in the beginning who the story is about. What the main, the main points of the story are going to be oriented towards not the son, not the other son, but the father. It's a, that in itself is maybe an interesting commentary on how you and I tend to relate to this story or read this story or understand this story. I, I don't know about you, but I relate most in this story with the son. And so, I make the son the main character, right? He's the one I relate to, he's the one I understand. But the purpose of the way that Jesus tells the story is to communicate here that the Father's love, that God's love, is always the main character of your story. That you and I are not even the main characters of our own story. That the main character of your story, 
the main character of your life? The main, the main character of your walk towards God or away from God is not you. The main character of your life, of your story, is the Father. And the Father's deep and intense love. Now, there are, there are many different avenues of application uh, to the story that Jesus tells. But the main point is always the main point in each of those different an- avenues. And it's this. Is that God's love is greater than your sin. God's love is greater. God's love is God's love is is greater than any rebellion. God's love is greater than any decision. God's love is greater than any path. God's love is greater than your sin. That is the main point of this story. What we tend to do is um, in, in stories maybe like this, or in stories, for instance, like David and Goliath, right? Um, you know, we, we see it's easy for us to see the, um, the prodigal characteristics of other people's lives, right? Like, oh, the, he's, just a, he's just a prodigal. He's walking away. He's, he's turning his back on the Lord. He's turning his back on his father. He betrays his family, and he's, he's going away. We, we, it's very, it becomes very easy for us to see the prodigal tendencies and decisions of other people in our lives. But if you hear anything this morning, I want you, uh, I want you to hear this. Right? Um, we are all the prodigal son. We, we are all the prodigal son. We are all the lost son. We are all the son that stays. We are all the prodigal. Every single one of us is a prodigal. We're going to talk about that here this morning. So what is the gist of the story? Well, the gist of the story is this. The son comes to the father in verse 12 and says, give me my share of the estate. Now what is the, I mean, what is like the, the reality behind that? You know, the reality, when, when do you, when do you rece- receive um, your share of your parents' estate? When they die. Right? Was the father dead? The father was not dead. Right? So what was, in essence, the son saying to the father? You're dead to me. Right? Like, the relationship, like, I don't, I don't really desire to have anything more to do with this relationship. I would like, even before you die, my share of what will be my, of, of what is yours. Right? after you die. Could I have it now, please? Could I, could I take it now? He was telling the father 
this is the end of our relationship. You are dead to me. And so the father obliged. So he divided his property between them. Uh, and then the son took, it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which included his portion of the father's estate, and set off for a distant country. And there, of course, he squandered his wealth and wild living. So the son collected all that he could get, and then he went off on his merry way, possessing the wealth of the father, possessing the gifts of the father, possessing the blessing of the father, but having no relationship any longer with the father. That he had, he had taken all that the father was willing to give him, but wanted nothing to do with the actual person of the father. Wanted nothing to do with a relationship with the father. And I, I wonder how many uh, times I right, have, have been the prodigal in a situation like this. How many times I have wanted nothing, nothing to do with a relationship with my Heavenly Father. But I wanted to maintain, I wanted to receive the continued gifts of the Father. Right? the continued blessing of the Father, the continued honor of the Father, treating, treating the Father as somewhat like, of a, somewhat like a spiritual or financial or emotional vending machine. Right? I need, I need, I need, I need, but I don't want the relationship. I want to just come up to the Father, press the button that I need, for what I need, take it, right? And then once I have what it is that I need, then I will go on my merry way. And this is exactly what the son in the story has done, right? He said, give me the best of what you have, and then once I have the best of what you have, then I'm going to leave. I want the best of what you have, but not who you are. The story goes on. He squandered his wealth, right? And wild living. He went off having everything. He squandered it all. And he spent everything. And, and, and what happened? Something, something horrible happened. There was a severe famine in the land, it says. And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And when he came to his senses, he said, in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up 
and went to his father. So the, the gist of the story is what? Is that the, the son came to his senses after, after walking away from his father. He came to his senses. He hit hardship. And he realized, right, that even the presence of the father is better than the gifts of the father. And he decided that he would go back somewhat like crawling, groveling, begging his father to just at least let him live there, make him like one of the hired men, um, give him like a, essentially a safe place to stay. What's interesting to me is that the, the son um, decided at some point that he was going to go back assuming that he would get, um, I, I'm guessing, I guess, assuming that he would receive a pretty specific response. That the response that he would receive as he was going home or when he got home would be one where he would have to like, beg or ask or grovel to just be a hired man. Like, so he's playing that over and over in his mind, right? Well, I'll go home, be, you know, beaten, bruised, humble, and I'll beg my father to let me live in a barn or to live um, as one of the hired men. And even that act alone, even the act, the, the willingness for him to go back to his father, um, it really says something about the state that he was in. Right? That the, the, just the, the brokenness that he was experiencing, the humility, the, the embarrassment, like the, he was at rock bottom, had absolutely nothing left at all. What, what determines, what determines for you, when you walk away from the Lord, whether it's for a moment, or for a day, or for a week, or for the last 20 years, when, when you decide, when you decide that you're going to say to the Lord, either explicitly or implicitly, I'm going a different direction. I'm walking away from you, right? I'm taking what you'll give me, but then I'm walking away. What is it for you that determines whether or not you come back to him? Or maybe the question is, what, what determines how quickly you come back? How, how quickly you return Asking the Father to receive you once again. See, some of us in our lives have had mothers. We've had um, fathers. Maybe we've had pastors. Maybe we've had church families, right? Church friends who in moments of our rebellion have taken opportunity to magnify the shame that we already felt all on our own. 
There's no doubt here that the, young, that the son felt an incredible amount of shame, embarrassment, brokenness. And what could he possibly have been expecting as he came home? And how did that maybe affect how quickly he went home? How broken he had to be before he decided going home and facing whatever it is I'm going to face is a better alternative than staying where I am. And some of us have not yet returned to the Lord because we are expecting via experience that we've had with people in our lives that when we return, it's only going to magnify our shame. It's going to only increase our judgment. We're only going to be more embarrassed. Everything that we've done, every decision that we've, been, that we've made, every path that we've walked, every person that we have been with, is going to be on display and we, our shame and our guilt is going to be absolutely magnified. And so, we are slow to return. We are are slow to make the decision to walk the long road back to our Father's house because we've built up in our mind a story, and maybe that story is based off of Real life experience where people have seen the decisions that you have made and have made you feel worse about it. Let me ask you a question. When you know that you have walked away from the Lord, when you know it, how many of you need someone to help you feel shameful for that? I don't. Right? I can, I can feel plenty of shame all by myself. But then you have people in your lives, right, who maybe with good intentions but poor delivery, or maybe with just bad intentions, right, have taken the shame that you feel all on your own for the decisions that you've made, and they magnify it. They put it on blast. They say, I told you so. Right? Or they, they, they spiritualize the I told you so by saying, you reap what you sow. But suffice it to say, they take all of that shame, right? And they magnify it and make it, like put a spotlight on it. And so you're increasingly slow to return. The best news, right? The best news of the story is that what Jesus seeks to do here is to take that narrative that I'm just going to be like, my shame is going to be magnified and I can't go back yet because I'm going to be embarrassed and I'm going to be too broken. He takes that storyline and he completely destroys it. See, that, that may be, that may be how you perceive the story is going to happen, but let me tell you something about the Father. In verse 20. But while he was still a long way off. (laughs) That's funny, right? While he was still a long way off. 
The father was waiting for him. It's not like, but when he knocked on the door, the father came unexpected. No, like, father was like in the watchtower. Like, I know he's, he's going to be coming back. Like, I'm just going to sit here and wait, right? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled. Listen. When the father saw the son return, he was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He wasn't going to even let his son get all the way home yet. Right? He saw him coming down the road. He was not going to wait for him to do the long walk of shame back up the driveway. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. See, when we walk away, when we run away, when we rebel against the Father, when we rebel against God, He receives us back. Not with judgment, not by magnifying our shame, or by telling us, I told you so, you shouldn't have done that, Look what you got yourself into. But the Father always receives us with compassion, with excitement for our return, in a spirit of celebration and lavished favor that we have come back home. This is not not some fancy interpretation of the story. This is Jesus, right? intentionally giving us a picture of the way of the Father receives back those who rebel against Him. Jesus intentionally tells the story this way. That while we may think we are going to face shame and condemnation and judgment, that the Father receives us with compassion and excitement and favor. You see, we see only the decisions that we've made that have taken us away from the Father. We see only the actions that we have done, right? And so, and so we think that when we come back to the Father, those are the things that He's going to bring up to us, right? What is incredible about this story is that you know the son was rehearsing what he was going to say to his father the entire time, right? I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and dad's going to say this, and I'm going to have to do that, and whatever. And so he gets back there, right? The son said to him, in verse 21, right? Look at it. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What does the Father say in response to this? Not a thing, right? Not even entertaining that thought. Like, I'm, like no, we, it's, we're not going there, right? It's not, it's not an issue. It's not like a, oh yeah, I guess so. Welcome back. We'll see what we can do. Get you a job in this field or this barn or whatever. I'm glad you're home, but I wish you wouldn't have, right? No buts, no ands, no ifs, just like a, you're home, let's celebrate. 
Not only did he not magnify his shame, not only did he not bring up what the son did, he went the complete opposite direction. And we're just like, I don't, I don't care what took you away. I'm excited that you're back. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. If you were gone a day, a week, a year, or ten, I'm going to celebrate that you are home. See, the son came back with this uh, I'm going to make it up to you attitude. And the father could not care less. In fact, the interaction with the older son, the interaction with the older son was proof that it does not matter to the father how you're going to try and make it up or if you need to try and make it up if you need to show him how sorry you are by living in your shame, by living in your guilt. We, we love to do that, don't we? Don't we love to just continue to punish ourselves with the, with the guilt for what we've done? With, with shame for what we've done? Like we just remind ourselves and remind ourselves and we remind ourselves and we think now that now we got to make it up. Now we got to make it up. Now we got to make it up to the Father. Now we got to make it up to the Father. Well, there's two instances here that, that show us that the attitude that the Father has towards his children is not one of doing it, uh, doing it good enough or doing enough good things or doing enough right things to either make it up for a bad thing that we've done or to earn his favor to begin with. Because when the younger son came back or the lost son came back and was like, I'm going to... I'm going to make it up. I'm going to make it up. I'm going to make it up. I'm not even worthy to be called your son, but I'm going to make it up. The father doesn't even entertain that, right? And then when the older son comes in and sees what's been happening, right? And he just goes off the handle like, hey, I've been good. I've been doing it all along. I've been doing the right things every single and I don't get any celebration and I don't get any like applause and I don't even get a meal to celebrate with my friends what does the father say the father basically is like listen <laughs> you were doing all those things because you thought you had to earn my favor and the blessings that I have right you never had to earn that You never had to work hard. All that I have, the Father says, is yours. My son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. You know how we said at the beginning that each and every one of us is the prodigal? Each and every one of us is the prodigal son. We've all had moments of walking away from the Lord. We've all had moments where we've said, we'll receive your blessings, not sure we want relationship. Right? We'll receive your gifts, not too sure we want to live in your house. Not too sure we want to live in your, under your lordship. We'll take what you have to give to us. Give me heaven and all that good stuff. But right now I want to go live just on my own desires, what I want to do, how I want to do it. 
Give me heaven, but all that stuff too. Right? We're all that. We're all that person. And we all need to come back to the Father. And when we all come back to the Father, we realize that all the shame and guilt that we've been carrying and beating ourselves up with is not in his vocabulary for his relationship with us. But you know what? Just like we were all the, the younger son, we are all the oldest son too. We are all the older brother. Each and every one of us. A few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between um, a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that is by faith, and is through the grace of God, right? We are declared righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus becomes our own. And then we talked about the other side, not a Christ-based righteousness, but a legalistic righteousness, right? I will be declared right and righteous before the Father because I have done the right things at the right times to the right people. I have said the right words. I have believed the right things. I have attended the right church. I have gone to the right Bible studies, right? I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, and because I'm doing, I am now accepted. Because I am doing, now I am okay in the sight of God. And the older brother is just as wrong as the younger one was when he walked away. Because there was nothing that the older brother could do or needed to do in order to receive and be a benefit of the father's love. It was a, it was a function of his sonship that he received the love of the father, not a function of what he did, the older brother, or what he didn't do, the younger brother. They were both equally wrong. And you and I, we need to recognize both of those tendencies in us. The tendency to rebel and walk away, and the tendency to stay and do all the right things and think that because we're doing all the right things that we are earning the love of the Father. Both are equally wrong. You are loved by the Father because of who He is, not because of who you are. Not because of what you do or don't do. The story is about the Father. He loves both sons unconditionally. He celebrates and lavishes and is excited when those who have rebelled and walk away return and he reminds those of us who have stayed, you don't need to keep trying so hard. You already have everything that I have. It's yours. You're my son. You are my child. We are all the lost son.
before you, before you speak that title onto someone else, oh, they're just a prodigal. They're, they're just a prodigal. You better speak it to yourself. You better speak it to yourself. You are a prodigal. I am a prodigal. I have walked away from the Lord. I have rebelled against, um, against His love. I have rebelled against does, of His presence in my life, right? And when I have returned, He has received me with compassion and love and excitement and favor. And I am the older son too. I have sat in a place of legalistic self-righteousness that says, hey man, God, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I've been serving you like crazy. I've been doing all the right things. I've been like reading my Bible and going to church and serving and being nice to the guys at work that I don't like and like, hey, where's my party? Where's my favor? Where's my benefit? We are all the older and we are all the younger. But the main point of the story is that we're not even the main character. The main character here is the love of the Father for both of them. If you are in a place this morning where you have been walking away from the Father, where you have been going in a different direction, where you have been claiming His gifts, His blessing, right, His salvation, but you have been walking in your own direction, thinking, well, I'll return at some point if I have to, to live in the Father's house, in the, pres in the presence of the Father, and lordship, his lordship over my life, but right now I got what I needed, right? And now I'm going this way. Right. If you've been walking away from the Lord and you haven't turned back because you don't know how you're going to be received, let me speak this truth into your heart by faith that God receives you not with judgment not with shame, not with condemnation for what you've done, but in an extravagant and compassionate love. He wants to celebrate your return and have a huge party for you. And in the same way, like, I desire, we desire... Not to magnify shame for moments where you are returning, but to respond with the heart of the Father for you and with you in excitement and compassion and favor for your return. And you can return. He is waiting for you. He is looking for you. And if you've been living with an older brother syndrome, 
the syndrome of, hey, I've been doing it all. been working really hard. Where's my blessing? I, I invite you this morning to repent. To repent of an attitude. To repent of a feeling. To repent of a thought. That, that, it, that salvation or favor or blessing in the eyes of the Father all depends upon how good you are. And to receive this morning the truth that the Father gives freely to you. Freely to all who would receive. Freely to all who would believe by faith. His favor, His blessing, His righteousness, His gifts. Separate from what you do or don't do. What He offers to you is free. As the worship team comes um, back up this morning, and as, of course, it is every Sunday, all service long, no matter when the time, right? The kneeling, uh, the, prayer, the prayer rails are open. If you would like to pray, if you would like to be prayed for or prayed over, um, you can come up to this side over here so I know that you want to be prayed for, right? If you want to just pray by yourself or bring your family up to pray or whatever, you can come to this side and I'll know that that's you saying, leave me alone, praying by myself, right? If you come up over here to this side, I'd be happy to pray for you or, or someone will pray, pray with you or for you um, if, um, if I'm tied up, okay? Um, let's pray this morning and then we'll open up worship again and open up um, the altar for prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we worship you, Lord. We say, Father... Because that is who you are. You are the Father that waits for us to return. That lavishes over us favor, blessing, excitement. that does not remind us of all the things that we've done wrong, does not magnify our shame, but celebrates it away. Lord, and maybe we are in a place of just, we've worked so hard to be good enough to earn your favor, to earn your blessing, to earn your love. Lord, and we've always felt like we never quite had it. Lord, would you, by your grace this morning, take back the scales from our eyes and allow us to see, Lord, that every even good thing that we can do is not good enough to earn us your love. 
but in Jesus Christ. Your love has been made free to us by faith. And that when we receive from Jesus, we receive the fullness of everything that we have always worked for. In Jesus' name, amen.